We read from God's Word this evening as it is found in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 will serve as our scripture reading tonight as well as the text. So the first seven verses of Acts 6, hear the word of God. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. We read that far in God's holy and inspired word. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the sermon this evening is meant to correct some of the misunderstandings that there are in the church of Jesus Christ concerning the office of deacon. Negatively, one of the misunderstandings of the office of deacon is this. There's some that view the office of deacon in this way, but it is not an inferior office that is somehow subordinate to the office of minister and elder in the church. While it is true that the elders, as rulers of the church, are to oversee and they have authority in the church, we do not have a, an hierarchy of offices minister first, and then elder and deacon. Deacons are not elder assistants. Deacons are not to be considered as um, elders in training. But the the diaconate is a distinct office. It's an office of equal value and significance among the offices in the church of Jesus Christ. And it's a sacred office meant to reflect Jesus Christ and His mercy in particular. 
The second misunderstanding that I want to point out immediately is not only that, it, that it's not to be considered as an inferior office, but the work of the deacon is, is not primarily to take care of finances in the church. Sometimes it's understood that way. We do not elect deacons because we think that they are good accountants. They can make a budget well and keep the church financially stable. That is not the biblical reason for the office of deacon. While it is indeed true that deacons may help us in that work, and often they have such gifts to take care of finances, their primary function is to show the mercy of Jesus Christ to the needy especially, the poor, the oppressed, and distress in the church and even beyond the church. Not finances, though sometimes and often that's involved, but to show mercy. It's called the ministry of mercy. The Word of God this evening is meant to correct these and other misunderstandings and instruct us positively on the true nature of the office of deacon as we find it here in Acts chapter 6. It's a sacred office. It's an office just as sacred as the office of minister and elder. It's an office that is to show forth Jesus Christ as an elder and a, and a pastor may show forth Jesus Christ. So the deacon also shows forth Jesus Christ. The, the, those men in the office of deacon are, are to be as Acts 6 shows us, full of faith, of wisdom, and of the Holy Spirit. And the whole church, the whole church is to understand this office, this ministry of mercy, what the diaconate is about. Perhaps as you sit here and you listen, listen to the introduction and you think about the text and, and the diaconate, you as a young lady or you as a young man might think, I, I, don't, I don't really need to know about the office of deacon so much. I'm not going to be in office in, of deacon, not anytime soon at least. And you might think you don't need to understand this. But the reality is the whole church needs to know and must have a vested interest in the office of deacon. Not only so that we elect to that office the right kind of men, that's part of it, but also so that we as a congregation may ourselves grow in showing the mercy of Christ. This is one of the most striking points of the text in Acts 6. It was the whole church in Acts 6 that had a vested interest in the office of deacon. And it's only when the entire church had this vested interest in the office of deacon that the church instituted an office of diaconate and supported that office and were led by that office and grew under the ministry of the deacons. We live in a country, in a community, where there isn't much mercy, true mercy, in this affluent age in America, it seems like it's every man, man for himself, even in the church. 
our own families, we go to work, we earn money, and we, 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 we work for ourselves and maybe for our immediate families, and we use the things to serve self. And, and we have to ask the question, are we, are we that good Samaritan? Are we seeking to show the mercy of Christ to others? Not just here and there, but a long-term mercy of Christ. Not only is it difficult for us to show mercy, this long-term ministry of mercy, but it's also very difficult for us to receive mercy because receiving mercy is humbling. It's, it's receiving and not trying to, to pay back anything, but receiving in thanks. Often we're too proud to receive that which others may give to us in their mercy. And so you see that mercy is something that is not seen as much as it should, shown, and, and, and even received. But it, it ought not be so in the church of Jesus Christ. And you understand why it ought not be so in the church of Jesus Christ, don't you? That mercy should not be rare because the gospel the gospel is all about mercy. The gospel is about the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. The gospel is about God making himself poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. It's about God giving unto us what we don't deserve. That though we don't deserve the, the, the opposite, his wrath and his judgment, he comes in love toward us. And he, in the person of Jesus Christ sacrifices of himself to minister unto us, to make us rich spiritually, and even to give us our daily bread, our physical needs, and bring us not just our souls, but our souls and bodies to glory. What mercy. And it's humbling, isn't it? This truth of mercy. We, we receive this mercy of God and we may not try to pay him back. Mercy is, mercy is simply received. And then, having received the mercy of God, we overflow, don't we, in thanks? And, and the church of Jesus Christ should want to show the same mercy to one another. That's what the church should be all about because the gospel is about mercy. So the church needs to learn about the ministry of mercy that together we may grow in showing and receiving mercy and then the deacons may lead us in doing that ministry. Consider with me this text, Acts 6, 1 through 7, under the theme, the ministry of mercy instituted. First, the occasion Second, the ordination, and then finally the outcome, the occasion for the institution of that office, the ordination of those elders unto the work of that office, and then finally the outcome that we find in our text. The occasion for the institution of the New Testament office of deacon has a, a, a negative and a positive aspect, and 
we, are, we tend to be a negative people and focus on the negative circumstances here, which do jump out at us. But before the negative, notice the positive circumstances or the occasion positively in this text. First, the church of Jerusalem was a large and, and rapidly growing church. Verse 1, and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied. When we read those days, those days should make us think, it's familiar to us, those days are the days of Pentecost. That is, the days after Jesus Christ had laid down his life, was crucified on that accursed cross for all of his people and his people alone, and having died, he didn't remain dead, but he rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven. And from heaven above, he poured forth unto his church. And he continues to pour forth unto us, his church, his Holy Spirit, so that that which he earned at the cross, all the blessings of salvation that he already finished earning at the cross, he now applies to us by his spirit. That's what Pentecost is all about. In those days we read in our text, Jesus is pouring forth his Holy Spirit to apply the blessings of salvation that he had earned. And in Acts 2.41 we read this about the result. And the Lord, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, as he pours forth his spirit, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The cross was effectual. That's what that text is saying. Jesus had indeed earned all of salvation for his elect people, such as should be saved. And so now he is, in those days and now, gathering those people that he had died for into the church. Converting their hearts by his spirit. Turning them into repentance and faith. And that church grew. The number, verse 1 of our text says, the number of the disciples was multiplied. It was literally multiplying. It was continuing to multiply. And be impressed with that. In the church of Jerusalem, remember on Pentecost, there were 3,000 that were converted on Pentecost itself on that day when the Spirit was first poured out. And then a few days later, when Peter and John went to the temple and healed that lame man, remember, at the gate beautiful of the temple, and then Peter preached the gospel to them, 5,000 men, we find, in Acts 4 were converted under the preaching of Peter. So the church in Jerusalem, it's hard to even imagine, was about 10,000 strong and growing. The second positive circumstance of this text is that the membership was diverse. The membership was diverse. Not only was the church large and growing, but it was diverse. Now, of course, in Jerusalem, that church was mainly made up of Jews or, or Hebrews. The text mentions Hebrews, too, Jews. But in, in Acts 6, we find the word Grecians. Literally, Grecians are Hellenists, those who had been Hellenized or made Greek. These were still people of Jewish blood and, and descent, but they had adopted a Greek culture, a Hellenistic culture. So they wore Greek clothing, they spoke the Greek language, they followed lots of Greek customs, they ate Greek food, 
And, of course, the legalistic Jews in those days would criticize the Grecians often and consider the Grecians liberals who weren't living antithetically. And, and that was certainly the case for some of these Grecians. They were living like the world and the Greek world of that day. However, after conversion in the church of Jesus Christ, these Grecians, of course, put away the unholiness of the world while still holding on to some Greek customs that were not sinful of themselves. So they were still Jewish blood, but they had Greek customs. They were included in the church of Jerusalem, Grecians, Hellenized Jews. There were some Gentiles also in the church. Notice verse 5. The last deacon is named Nicholas. A proselyte is described. A proselyte of Antioch. As you know, proselytes are Gentiles by descent, those who had been converted unto Judaism and now are added to the church. He was a Gentile, and there were probably others with him who were Gentiles, for as you know, on the day of Pentecost, there were people from other countries present in Jerusalem. So there were Jews, there were Grecians, there were Gentiles, and I say it's a diverse church. Also to point out, remember, that there were people of different economic statuses. There were those who were economically of a higher class, of a middle class, and of a lower class. We find the widows there. And remember, we're still in the positive circumstances. Sometimes we think of those who are of a lower class economically poorer as a burden. No, they're not a burden on the church. It's a good thing. An opportunity where God's people may share their gifts one with another in the church. You see, the crucified, risen, and ascended Lord Jesus Christ was gathering unto himself a universal church already in Jerusalem. Where there was neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, but all one in Christ. Galatians 3.28. So the occasion positively was that the church was large and growing. It was already a diverse church. And thirdly now, and most importantly about the positive occasion, the church was already benevolent. The church was already interested in engaging in the ministry of mercy. You find that in those words, daily ministration in verse 1, Now, of course, we'll get to the negative. It's mainly negative. It it points out a negative, the sentence does, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. But notice, there was a daily ministration. There was already, before the establishment of the official office of deacon, a daily ministration. Every day, there was ministry being done in the church already. The people were already caring for the poor and the needy every day. In fact, the word ministration has the word minister in it, notice. And I said before one of the songs this morning that the word deacon means minister or servant. The people were already doing the work of the deacon. The ministers of mercy daily in the church. And I'll look at another word in the text that helps us see that the church was benevolent already. The word disciples. Disciples. It's mentioned in verse 1 and verse 2. The members of the church now. Not, not the 12 apostles, 
but the members of the church are called disciples. Verse 1, the number of disciples multiplied. And verse 2, then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them. You see, they're the members of the church. All the members of the church, not just the office bearers, are called disciples. Disciples, children, as you know, means followers of Jesus Christ. They're followers of Jesus Christ. Those who believe in Jesus Christ rest in him, and then out of thanks, they follow his instruction and his example also. And that's important because remember that the gospel, the ministry of Jesus Christ was all about mercy. The gospel of Jesus Christ was this, summed up in Mark 10, verse 45. Even the Son of Man, Jesus himself said, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, there's that word, that is from the same root as deacon, not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many, Mark 10, 45. And so he came as that minister of mercy, the minister of mercy, and he gave himself to minister to us. Gave himself so much that he gave his life as a ransom for us. And now God's people gathered by him are his disciples, we read. They rest in his ministry. They don't try to do ministry to earn his salvation, the salvation he has already earned. But they, out of thankfulness, want to show the same mercy. If you're a disciple of the ministry of mercy, you're going to minister mercy out of gratitude to reflect that gospel to others. Such were the disciples. Such was the church back then. Even, remember, before the diaconate was established. The Spirit of Jesus Christ filled those believers so that they were not stingy penny pinchers, as is our nature, but liberal givers. Notice Acts 2, verse 42. They sold their possessions and goods, parted them to all men as ever man had needed. That's not communism, but it was that members of the church willingly sold their possessions, even hurt in selling their possessions in order to supply for the necessities of the other members of the church. How beautiful. A beautiful reflection of the mercy of Jesus Christ. The church back then was not hyper-spiritual as some are today, which is not really spiritual at all. Hyper-spirituality goes like this. Here's the Bible. Here's the Word. That's all you need. And, of course, ignore the physical needs that God's people have. Or a twisting of the true doctrine that Christ's kingdom is a, a spiritual kingdom that happens in reform circles. Since Christ's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, some say, they twist it and then we don't have to care for the for the physical and the mental and emotional necessities of God's people who are hurting. No, our Savior shows mercy to us, soul and body. He cares for us, soul and body. He supplies our spiritual bread that's the most important, but he also gives us our daily bread. And that's what the church is to reflect to others as well. This was the healthy church in Jerusalem. Not a perfect church, as we'll see in a moment, but a membership that was already engaging in the ministry of mercy. 
And the application for us, for you as a church here, is this, a robust, healthy diaconate, faithful in the ministry of mercy, is the fruit, is the result of a membership already understanding the ministry of mercy themselves and zealous in it on their own. The church was not perfect, though. There were a couple of negative circumstances, part of the occasion here. First, verse 1, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Remember, the church was multiplying, it was growing, it was diverse, it was benevolent, but it was full of sinners, still with totally, totally depraved, sinful natures. And one of the besetting sins that came forth from the church and the hearts of these depraved natures in the church of Jerusalem was the same kind that comes forth from our own hearts, the sin of murmuring, the sin of gossiping, the sin of backbiting, complaining. The Hellenized Jews notice that their widows, the Grecian widows, were neglected in particular. So instead of bringing their concerns to the leaders of the church or to the specific Jewish people that they thought were neglecting their Grecian widows, they let their tongues wag. They let their, the fire of their tongue spread so that there began a forest fire, as James put it, in the church. They let the poison of asps, which are, is under all of our tongues by nature, spray to criticize and to backbite, to ruin the reputation of others, of leaders, of Jews in particular around them. Were the Grecian widows neglected? Certainly. Was it because they were Grecian? Was it some sort of discrimination against those of a different culture? That's not anywhere in the text. But it certainly was spread. Was it true that it was only the Grecian widows who were neglected? No, not necessarily. The church was very big. There were probably Jewish widows and other people, other needy people who were neglected, but of course, that must have been spread. Was it even intentional? Was it out of spite that these were neglected? Probably not. And yet, the murmuring spread. It's not the main, main application, but it's a necessary application, beloved. One of our besetting sins is murmuring, gossip. Reformed churches, for some reason, are known to have a lot of gossip. It should not be. If you notice, deacons and elders or minister engaging in the work of the office, and you notice that they have made a mistake, they have sinned, they've done what is wrong, they've made a decision that you don't agree with, you will see that. They're weak men. Remember, you are not to murmur. You are not to gossip. You're not to spray their mistakes everywhere, this way and that. 
A hypercritical spirit is a problem in all of us. Are you called to bring your concerns to them in a proper manner? The second negative circumstance we find here is an improper division of labor. An improper division of labor. The problem was not, the text does not say, spiteful neglect of Grecian widows. But the problem was that the present church leaders could not do all the work to care for all the needy in the church. The present church leaders, remember, were the apostles. They were the elders back then. And in spite of the Holy Spirit supernatural empowering of them to do a lot of work, they still were limited, weak, finite men. And so they say in verse 2, it's not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. We're going to have to leave the Word of God if we're going to try to also do the work of the deacons. And here we find the primary work of the pastor, or the teaching elder of the church. He's to dedicate his time, his best mental powers to the study of the Word and the preaching of the Word and the teaching of that Word. And, don't forget this, verse 4, prayer. We will give ourselves continually to prayer Prayer for each of the members in particular. Prayer for the church. Earnest prayer. The ministry, the pastors in charge of prayer and the word. And the minister must make that his priority. He may not neglect prayer and the word. But the pastors of the church in Jerusalem back then were feeling, probably like many pastors in the PR churches today, We say, stretched too thin sometimes. Perhaps trying to preach and pray and take on the deacon's work and the elder's work. We must be ministers of the word, the ministers back then said. And we need ministers of mercy to do their work. A proper division of labor. Beloved, we must take this to heart not only as office bearers, I must take that to heart as a preacher, as a pastor, but also as a congregation and denomination and as other office bearers. There does need to be a proper division of labor. Sometimes, Pastors, like myself, of a church and denomination, try to do too much. That's our pride. And we must humble ourselves and stop. Obviously, that doesn't mean being lazy. But too often, we try to do the elders' work or the deacons' work. And not only then, are the, is, then is it going to be the case that the widows would be neglected and the needy are neglected, but also then the ministry of the word and prayer would be neglected as well. Elders must rule in such a way that they do not allow ministers to encroach upon the labors of the elders and the deacons. And members are not to expect and demand of the pastors to do the work of the elders and the deacons. One of the negative circumstances in this church in Jerusalem was an improper division of labor. There needed to be a proper division of labor. 
In the midst of these circumstances, the church in Jerusalem ordained the deacons. The apostles examined what was going on in the church, looked at the occasion, and they did not explain away the problem as only being the sin of murmuring. They didn't say that the only problem here is a bunch of discontent Grecians. But they recognized that it was more than a sin problem. There was a need for the diaconate. There was work to be done. Notice verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, they said, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So they proceeded toward the ordination of men. Notice how to describe the work of the diaconate to this business. And the word business there doesn't refer to financial business. But literally, it's needed labor or necessary labor. We need to ordain men unto this necessary labor. Let it never be said about the diaconate and their work that it's optional, that it's not really needed. No, it's necessary labor. That's what the Spirit says here in verse 3. These men were to be ordained or appointed unto work. Notice three points about the work of the deacons that they were ordained unto. There's much more that I can say about the work, but I don't have time to delve into all the details of the work of the diaconate. But three points all start with D. First, they are to discern who are the objects of mercy. They must discern the true objects of mercy. That's one of the work one of the one of the pieces of work that the deacons have. The specific concrete case that we find here in Acts 6 is widows. The deacons were to find the widows, particularly the Grecian widows now who were being neglected, and they were to care for them. The widows, remember, were were those who didn't have a husband because their husband had died, but it was more than that. In those days especially, the widows were poor because they couldn't find a job. It wasn't normal for a woman to hold a job like a man, and they had children often to care for and couldn't take a job as is the case often today. Many of these widows were oppressed widows. Evil men and women around them took advantage of the widows because they didn't have a husband to protect them. And if they were Grecian widows, they may have been looked down on by those around them and had fewer family members and friends to help them in their poverty. Deacons were to find, discern who these widows were and care for them. But as I said, this is the concrete case here in Acts 6. Widows are not the only needy people in the church. In fact, in 1 Timothy 5, verse 5, we find this phrase, those who are widows indeed. And the implication is that not, not every woman who has lost her husband has great needs that the deacons have to care for. They are to find the true objects of mercy, those who are widows indeed. 
There are those who are orphans, the fatherless and the widows, James 1.27 says. We're there to discern who are needy and they're physically, who are physically handicapped, those who are sick, those who are elderly, those who are abused. We find this in the form for the ordination of elders and deacons. One of the descriptions of the work of deacons is this, assist the oppressed. And the word oppressed is the biblical word for abused. The deacons are to help those who are oppressed. The needy include those not only in the church even. The deacons have the responsibility of discerning those even outside of the church who need help. That's a difficult task, but part of the work of the diaconate. Galatians 6.10 says, As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. The priority is the care of those within the church, the company of the elect, the, the believers, but also to all men, as we have opportunity, we find, not to, not to spread a social gospel, not to get rid of world poverty, that's not the point, but to care for those who we have opportunity to care for. The deacons are to discern those who are needy within the church and even those beyond the church. In doing so, their calling and that which they are ordained unto is to understand the needs then of God's people. And to understand the needs of God's people, they have to be proactive in, in getting to know the congregation and the community and in knowing them, know how, who the needy are and how they can help. You see, that is where we come back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If, if Jesus were to sit back as the minister of mercy, and if he were to just wait until we told us his need, or our need, if he were to wait for us to tell him our needs, to bring to us, bring to him our concerns, and to, to make a special request of him, if you were to wait for that, would we ever come to him with our needs? The minister of mercy, Jesus Christ, came to us. He works in us to see our need, and he works in us to see our needs so that we turn to him in prayer. As representatives of Jesus Christ, the deacons then are to seek out those who are needy, discerning them. Second, the work of deacons involves distribution to meet the specific needs. So now, distributing to meet the kind of needs that the people have. The Belgian Confession is helpful here in Article 30, describing the work of the diaconate, that the poor and distressed may be relieved and comforted, and then notice this phrase, according to their necessities. Notice that not everyone needs cash. And even those who, who, who need money need more than money. 
The orphan needs more than money thrown at him. The lonely widow needs more than a check written out to her. The victim of abuse needs more than financial stability. There are emotional, there are mental, there are social needs. And we actually find that in our text as well. Notice the end of verse 2 and the specific unique phrase that describes the work of the deacons that they were going to be appointed to. Serve tables. Serve tables. Serve tables. The The first deacons were appointed not to dish out cash, but to dish out food. And they were the ones that did it personally. They, they came to the tables. They served the tables. They, they set out the food. They served the food. They, they, they probably visited with the people that they served the food to. And they probably cleaned up after, afterward. Hands-on, personal, with them. The deacons, the first deacons, didn't just hand out money. But they ministered according to the needs of the people. Our church order, Article 25, says that they are to give contributions of charity. And that doesn't mean just money. It can come in the form of food and drink and services and help finding a job and help organizing their finances, finding a home, finding a counselor. The needs of God's people are great. And the deacons are to care for them and lead the church in caring for them. Now I connect that back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about the merciful God and Savior. How did he show us mercy? Did he stay in heaven and throw down from heaven above blessings? No, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as the minister of mercy visited us. Luke 1.68 Blessed be the God of Israel for he hath visited and redeemed his people. His name is God with us. Emmanuel. He came to us. He condescended to us. Personally, he came to us so that we might have fellowship with him around his table. And he served us. And continues to do so. That's the work of the deacon to reflect that minister of mercy. And finally, regarding their work, the deacons not only discern the object of mercy, distribute to meet the specific needs, and finally they deliver. They deliver the word. They deliver the word. The form for installation of the deacon says this, they not only administer relief to the poor and indigent with external gifts, but also with comfortable words from Scripture. That's not explicitly mentioned in the text that they bring the word, but it's implied. Who is Stephen? Remember the head deacon? First one mentioned here, he is the one mighty in the word. So much so that verse 10, we find him speaking the word that the enemies of the church were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. He was always speaking the word as he brought the ministry of mercy. Philip brought the word so well that later on he was found to be an evangelist, a deacon who was an evangelist, caring for 
the needy as Jesus would, will always be with the Word. With the Word. But the church, the whole church, remember, and the deacons leading the church, remember the ministry of mercy that God has given to the church to engage in, to discern the needy, distribute to meet the need, and to deliver the word of the gospel of Christ's mercy. And let God's people be receptive, not suspicious of deacons when they inquire about your needs, more than financial needs even. Let them receive the deacons, their visits, their care, their mercy. The work of the diaconate is done by qualified men. That's who were ordained to the office here in Acts 6. Very briefly, notice they're men. They're not women. They're men. Not because women are less gifted. There's evidence of women helping the deacons in 1 Timothy 5. But the men are the ones who rule, who hold office, the office of Jesus Christ. And they lead in the work of showing the mercies of Christ. Secondly, notice about the qualifications that they are holy men. Men of honest report, our text says, full of the Holy Ghost. Holiness is not only separated from sin, but holiness is a It's a devotion, a dedication to God and and to Jesus Christ. Deacons are not to be those who are dedicated to Michigan football, dedicated to drink, the bottle, dedicated to the gospel and to a life of holiness before God, to lead their families in that holiness. They're recognized as such. They're holy and they're full of wisdom, we find. That's the third qualification in our text. They know how to apply. They don't just have doctrines in their brain, but deacons are qualified with the right application of knowledge. They're first partakers of that truth. It affects their heart so that they show the mercy of Christ and don't just speak about the mercy of Christ. They're men of wisdom who know how to bring the passages of the Scriptures to apply it to God's people who are needy in the ways they need application. They know in this modern society with wisdom how to, how to minister to the people who are in a modern age with technology and the difficulties of living in a, in a modern age. They know how to distribute with liberality so that God's people aren't afraid to ask. But at the same time, with wisdom, they know how to be good stewards of the mercies of Christ. Such were the kind of qualified men chosen in Acts 6. And notice the ordination service now, verse 6, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. That's striking. For the deacons, remember, this is not, this is not an ordination For ministers, as we're accustomed to, ministers have the laying on of hands. 
But here we find the deacons have their hands, have hands laid on them as a sign, a symbol of Christ's hand. Christ saying, they have my authority and I equip them to engage as my representatives in the ministry of mercy. And we might not have that tradition in our churches to lay our hands on deacons, but let it be thought of that just as Christ has laid his hands on ministers to bring the word, so Christ also has laid his hands on deacons to equip them and authorize them in that work. It is, as I began this evening, just as sacred of an office as the minister of the word, the ministry of mercy. The outcome is striking. The word of God increased, verse 7. And the number of the disciples multiplied. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. The church grew. That sums up the outcome. The church grew numerically. The church first grew spiritually. The word of God increased. That is to be attributed at least in part to the deacons' labors directly. Remember, they brought the word. They always brought the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And with the word brought to those in the church and those beyond the church, God's people were strengthened in the faith and were gathered. Not only was the church increased spiritually, with the work of the deacons directly, but remember, as the deacons engage in their work, the apostles and the ministers of the word could be more efficient in their praying, in their making of sermons, in their disseminating of the word more widely, and more were gathered. There was a proper distribution of labor or division of labor. Striking, because... The church prospered in evangelism and missions when there was a robust diaconate. I sense in our churches there's a growing interest in missions and evangelism, and I'm very thankful for that. And we might ask the question, well, how can we improve in in the work of missions and evangelism and spiritual strengthening and and gathering of God's people. Well, here is one surprising answer. Let the church have a vested interest in the ministry of mercy. And the deacons lead in that. And one last detail about that church growth. The hardest of hearts were converted. Verse 7 a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. You remember who these priests were? Remember Caiaphas? Remember Annas? The priests were a group of people under the leadership of these corrupt high priests. They were the ones who held an illegal trial 
They were the ones that took Jesus and murdered him and led in the crucifixion of the Messiah. The priests who were supposed to reflect the merciful high priest Jesus Christ, the priests were hypocrites in that day, and they instead killed the Messiah they were supposed to reflect. But now, somehow, in the way of the deacons faithfully carrying out their work. They were brought to faith. Perhaps it was this, beloved. The deacons are the true priests reflecting the merciful high priest, Jesus Christ. And those Old Testament priests saw that they themselves were shams and that the true priests, the deacons in the church, were the ones of real mercy. And they turned from their unbelief to Christ, to his mercy as shown by those deacons. So, beloved, may God fill you with his spirit, the gospel of Christ's mercy. And may God grow his church spiritually so that they show forth the ministry of mercy as a congregation and as a diaconate for the spiritual strengthening and gathering of his church. Amen. Let's pray. God, we celebrate thy mercy toward us in Jesus Christ. Thou, the eternal God, has condescended to us sinful men to visit us, to become like us in all things, sin accepted, to suffer for us, that we might be redeemed and given the treasures of salvation. What mercy that Jesus Christ has made himself poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. O oh God, fill us as a church with the knowledge of the gospel and with gratitude so that we want to show the same mercy to others. Do that here. Do that in our hearts. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.